what I have for you today is, well, it's what God has for us today. I should say it that way. And then I want to set this up um, this way because it would be easy for someone sitting here today to hear the, the voice of condemnation and criticism and just, um, it, it may come across harsh, but I don't want you to listen to it that way. Um, let me say it this way. The voice of our enemy is always one who's an accuser and an abuser. He's the name caller. He, he tries to shame and, and beat down. The voice of God, he may convict, but it's always with a tone of love. It's a tone of mercy. It's a tone of kindness. And so he may call us to something different and it may have some pangs of, of guilt, but it, it attached to it is a voice of love. And my goal today is to not beat anyone over the head because I myself am, am an imperfect person and I'm thankful for the kindness of God that has drawn me to himself. Um, and so as I go through the scriptures today, there may be a little bit of awkwardness. I hope not. I'm not gonna be super explicit um, or anything like that, but um, I do want you to hear the voice of God, not me. And I want you to hear a voice of kindness and mercy and grace, okay? So listen closely to that. Um, so as we jump into this, we're gonna be in chapter six. And I also want to say that as, as Pastor Keith left us with, uh, last week, he left us with this thought, the, con the, the spiritually mature person humbly makes it all about Christ, not themselves. And we've talked a lot about unity over the last couple of weeks. And we need to, as Christians, agree on some things. We don't have to agree on everything, but we need to agree on some things. And first of all, I think we first of all need to agree that as we've already sang and declared this morning that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to agree on that. We are not king. We are not in charge. We are not Lord. He is Lord. And the Bible says that at the end of time, sometime in the future, every knee will bow and every, will, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I submit to you, I challenge you to, if you haven't done that already, to make that decision to make him Lord of your life now because it will happen later. He is Lord whether we think he is or not, that doesn't change the reality. The next thing I think we need to agree on to kind of help us with a foundation of this is we need to agree that the Bible is the complete and errant word of God. It is our final authority. The way we say it around here at Grace is that the God's word trumps our feelings. Our feelings, our opinions are submitted to the word, the truth of God. We place our preferences under his authority, the authority of his word. And so as we read the word of God, we need to keep that in mind. Now, the other thing I would uh, just, this is just kind of a side note, but can you guys quote John three sixteen with me? Can you guys do that? For God so loved the world that he gave. That was really good. That was really good. Most of you got it. I don't know if we had all the right, the, the same version in there, um, but it was close enough. So what about Job 7, 5? Can anybody quote that? It's really simple. Um, if you have an elementary age son, maybe a daughter, but I think small boys would really like this one. Job 7, 5, Job said, my flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. So, <laughs> so, 
Just a side note, when it comes to the inerrancy, the authority, and the truth of scripture, some scriptures like John 3.16 have more impact on our spiritual formation than others. Now, is Job 7.5 untrue? No. Was it breathed out by God? Absolutely. It was inspired by him and it plays a, a role. So go read through Job chapter seven when you get home and try to figure out what it's talking about there. But just because a verse doesn't have the same spiritual weight that another one does, doesn't mean it's unimportant or untrue. But there are verses that have more weight and more meaning to us when it comes to our spiritual formation. And so as we read scripture, there are some important things that God says that we need to pay attention to, okay? The other thing that we need to agree on is that sin is serious. And it, required, it requires the blood of Jesus Christ the, the way that the Hebrews writer said it was this. He said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. What, what, what I hope to communicate is that sin, God is kind and forgiving and loving and filled with mercy and grace. But that doesn't mean he ignores sin or sweeps it under the rug or doesn't think it's a big deal. Sin is serious enough that it required the lifeblood of Jesus. And sometimes I think that when we are confronted or tempted or dealing with sin in our own lives, we tend to ignore it or kind of sweep it under the rug or what have you. And we're not called to do that. I want you to remember that as I go through this, my goal is not to minimize sin or to, to say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And I'm grateful that we have a savior who has dealt with it. But, it, but keep in mind that sin requires the shedding of the, of the blood of Christ. And then finally, we need to agree on what the Bible declares as sin. There are some, there are some passage of, uh, uh, passages of scripture that admittedly I don't understand fully, but there are some very clear passages of scripture that are uncomfortable for us to read and to apply and to agree with. But what the Bible declares sin to be, we need to be in agreement on that when it's clear. And so as we read these verses, um, I believe the scripture is very clear on this. And so keep those things in mind. Now, here's the goal today. I wanna lead you to a place of freedom. I wanna lead you to a place of life. And I think that that's the longing of every human heart is to live in a place of freedom. The problem is we have a misguided view or definition of freedom. I think a lot of times people assume that freedom is the ability to just be able to, to do whatever I want, whenever I want. No boundaries, no rules. That's what freedom is. And I wanna to submit to you to today that that is an illusion. And, and that freedom, real freedom, actually has a very specific destination and there's a, there's a specific path to freedom. If you ever try to play a game or do anything, you know that to have any kind of organization to any objective, you need to have rules, you need to have guidelines. Try playing sports without out of bounds, okay? As kids, we tried to do this. We tried to play basketball with no out of bounds. It's crazy. Um, in fact, let's do it like this. Let's play a game. You wanna play a game? Okay, you go first. <laughs> See, without parameters, without guidelines, there's, there ha there's no clear next step. And so to be able to fulfill what God has called us to do, to live in freedom, there's a specific way to do that. In fact, the scriptures say, where the spirit of the Lord is, that's where there is freedom. So the destination, the place 
where we can find freedom is close to the Father, when we're in connection, with relationship with God himself. That's where freedom is found. And I believe he leads us on a specific path to freedom. In fact, Jesus said, narrow is the way, right? There is a path to freedom. But we, we are, because of our humanity, we have instincts and we have kind of natural appetites that, that lead us towards a different idea of freedom. How many of you ever believed something that turned out to be untrue? Anything, anybody? Okay, so I believed something recently this spring that turned out to be untrue, completely false. And it resulted in some consequences. I like to fly fish. Anybody like that in, in here? Okay. I almost wanted to bring out like my fly rod and props, but it would just, it had nothing to do with the rest of the message. It would just be me talking about fly fishing. And so, and, and it'd be a waste of time. But I love to fly fish and I have a waiting staff, which is a cheap trekking pole that I got off of Amazon and I have it attached to my belt and it allows me to wade across some swift current. And I was on the Boise River a few months ago and it was before the flows had come up, but there was this spot I'd always wanted to fish in, the, in downtown and I, it's best to fish it from the other side. So I was like, I'm gonna cross and I'm gonna have my waiting staff, I'm gonna cross the river. And it's shallow, I could see the bottom, but the, the, the current is quick. But I was like, I got my waiting staff. I can do this. I've done, I've crossed stuff like this before. Well, I got halfway across and the illusion that I had bought into, there was a, a reality that began to sink in. And the reality was that the current was so fast that the rocks, when I put my weight on them, would begin to move down, downstream. So my foundation that I had, I had trusted in began to shift and not just shift a little bit, like shift a lot. Like I was skating sideways down, down river. And it wasn't long until I completely lost my footing. I got my rod in this hand, my trekking pole in this hand. And I go down, I bury the tip of my rod into the river. And my first thought is don't break your rod. And so I'm like, you know, and I don't care if I'm, I'm and so I sit completely down and I'm, then I'm floating down the river. And the second thought was don't die. And uh, I'm, headed, I'm headed to deep water. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And so I, I, I didn't die. And so I got out and uh, I, then I looked around to see if anybody had seen me, you know, like, <laughs> is anybody watching that? Cause I have to be honest, there was a green belt and there's some people walking by and I'm like, maybe I was down below the bank. Maybe nobody saw that. And then, uh, then I'm checking to see if I'm okay because the water was cold and my hands were all beat up from the rocks. I'm like, did I break my fingers? Is my, you know, am I all together, you know? And then, then the next feeling was just, I was just mad. I was just like. So I hiked up to another spot. It turned out to be garbage and I just went home. So like, it was just bad. I believe something that turned out to be an illusion and it cost me. The, the problem is as, 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 as people and, and not just Christians, but anyone, if we believe something that's a lie and we base our life on that, the, the foundation, and if the foundation shifts, which it will, it's gonna cost us. So as I go through this, my goal is to give you good foundation to stand on, to plant your life on. Because God's heart, his intent for all of us today is for our good. He wants good things for you. He wants good things for your family. He wants good things for your kids, your marriage, your friends, your, your workplace. He, and that doesn't mean you're gonna get a check for a million dollars in the mail and all your problems go away. But he wants your life to be, to be rich and filled with his blessing. And that's not always tied to what's in the bank account. 
It's not always tied exactly to our circumstances. We have to have an internal perspective that even though we're walking through hard times here, I'm, I have the joy and the peace and the foundation, the, the stability that Christ offers, even in days that are difficult. The life of a Christian is marked by somebody who walks through those valleys, but they're firm and they're steadfast because God is with them. And they get that. And so my goal today is to help you believe, help you understand if there's any confusion about what God's word says about some of these issues. Now, there's a, we're gonna talk a little bit about sexual sin and I'm not gonna be explicit or anything like that. If you, don't, if you have kids in here and you're not sure you, they wanna listen to it or should listen to it and you just wanna like be safe, we have great kids volunteers and no judgment if you take them out to the kids ministry right now, okay? But um, we're gonna start in 1 Corinthians 6 and we're actually gonna go down to verse uh, 12. That's what we're gonna start. Actually gonna flip back um, to some previous verses. And then also, if you wanna put your thumb in 1 John chapter one, you can put your thumb there as well. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12 says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for, for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I wanna give you four things briefly straight from those uh, handful of verses that support the idea of freedom that are what I would call pillars of freedom. First of all, we need to understand that what is legal isn't always good. Just because something is legal according to our government standard, that doesn't automatically mean that it's good in God's eyes. The role of our government is not to play God. The role of our government is largely to keep peace and to kind of help society um, work together well. And I'm grateful for police and military and first responders. And I'm grateful for some of our government institutions that help us work through our differences because we are a diverse country with a, a whole host of diverse opinions. But just because our government says something is legal doesn't mean that we as Christians automatically agree and say that is a good thing. I'll give you a few examples of some laws that I don't think uh, are, are good for us. Um, there's a push right now to legalize drugs in our country. Marijuana, for example. Um, I don't think that that is a good idea. Now, under, the, uh, under a prescription that a doctor writes, hey, I've taken narcotics. Can I tell you that? Okay, I had a shoulder surgery and a doctor wrote me a prescription and I followed, I followed his instructions. Under that, that's fine. But for recreational use of, of marijuana or, or, or even hard drugs, there's a push right now to, to legalize some harder stuff out there. Just because our government says that that's legal in parts of our country doesn't mean that we as Christians automatically say, okay, that, that's good for us too. Um, a few uh, months ago, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. For most of my life, abortion was legal in this country, according to that law. Now, I wanna, again, I wanna extend kindness and mercy to anyone who has been touched by this issue personally. God does not condemn you. He calls you 
to himself. He's, his arms are wide open. But we as Christians, we value human life. We do. And we believe that it begins at conception and we believe that God values every single life or life to be. However you wanna define that, I'm not gonna get into all the complexity. It's, I admit it's a complex issue. But just because one, a law says something is legal doesn't mean it's right. And Paul's acknowledging this. He's saying sometimes it, the, the government says, this is okay, this is fine. And he's saying, just because that's the law of the land doesn't mean it's good for you. The second thing he says is that, <clears throat> it's that he says that food is meant for the stomach and then the stomach's meant for food. And he said, but God will destroy both. What he's saying is what is a natural thing, what is a natural appetite isn't always healthy. What is natural isn't always healthy. That's your second point. Just because I have a natural appetite for something doesn't automatically mean that it's good for me. Now, if I had my, like if it was my birthday and I was gonna have like my, like I was gonna choose my own meal, it would be cheeseburgers and cheesecake. Like cheeseburger, anybody with me? Like you have the cheese and you put bacon on it, okay? And uh, you, you don't put like light mayo on, you, you put the real stuff on, okay? And there's some tomato on there and some lettuce and like that's kind of helps compensate. But like, and I want French fries, okay? And I, and I want like the, um, the battered kind, like waffle fries and crinkle cutter, okay? But I want the, the, the thick batter French fries, okay? And they have to be crispy, okay? Now, what it, that's a heart attack in a bag, let's be honest, okay? And polished off with cheesecake, that's just, that's my natural appetite. That's what I want. But I can't make a life, I can't make a, a full diet out of that and expect to have it be good for me. And so even though I'm naturally drawn to something, even though there's something that is a natural desire that I have, doesn't always mean that it's good. And let's be honest, God has created us as sexual beings. We have a desire, we have a bent toward these kinds of things, but, that, but there are desires, there are, there are temptations that are not good for us. And we need to be honest about the, just because I'm drawn to something doesn't mean that it's automatically healthy and good. The next thing I want you to know is that um, Paul says there in, I think it's 12 and 13, he says, I will not be dominated by anything. Regardless of what it is, whether it's lawful, whether it's natural, I'm not gonna be dominated by anything. And I would say this, the power of self, that it, it, it dominates and leads to death. If we allow our self to be the, the king of our life, the, the Lord, so to speak, if we're our own master and we are dominated by the appetites or the desires of self, we are going to be led towards death. And I don't mean like just physical death, I mean spiritual death, where we're separated from God and there's consequences to that way of living. And so if we're gonna live in freedom, we're not gonna allow anything to dominate us. And it can be non-sinful things. I, I was watching a, uh, a documentary, I think it was on ESPN, it was years ago, I don't remember who was broadcasting it, but a guy was being interviewed and he was talking about his addiction to the game of golf. He was lying to his boss, he was like a salesman of some kind, and he would lie to his boss and say that he was on sales calls, but he was actually out playing nine holes. He was lying to his wife 
and saying that he was at work, but he was actually playing golf. He was lying to his children, you know, and he was missing deadlines at work and he was missing family memories and all these things. And he literally was like, I could not drive past a golf course without stopping and pulling in and, and, and even hitting balls on the range or something. And I can identify with that a little bit, okay? Like I like to play golf and there's some things that, but you know what happened? He lost his family. He got fired from his job. His marriage dissolved. And he admitted on that show that he's like, I'm addicted to golf. Well, another way, another way to say it, he was dominated by his hobbies. And there are some things that are non-sinful. I mentioned fly fishing. I like to play golf. There's some other things that I enjoy, cheeseburgers, okay? Like, there's some really, really good food out there and I love it all, okay? But I can't be dominated by even those things. And then of course I can't be dominated, we shouldn't be dominated by anything that the scriptures call is sinful. And it's a tragedy when we find or, or hear stories about people who have been dominated by substances or other kinds of addictions that wreak havoc in their homes and lives. And so freedom is the opposite of that. We're not gonna be dominated by anything. So how, we're not, how, do we, how do we not do that? Because we're not always strong. We're not strong enough. We're not, we're weak. So what we're gonna do, the fourth thing is that we're gonna trust in the promise of that verse 14, where it says, he will raise us up. The same power that raised Christ out of the grave is available to you and I. So the power of God frees and leads to life. It's not our own self. It's not our own strength. The power of God is what frees and leads to life. The power of God has the ability to resurrect my life, to resurrect your life. And it not only gives me the ability to live above my natural instincts, but it also gives me a new purpose to live for. My life is no longer about just paying bills and surviving. It's not about just the next temporary uh, cheap thrill. It's not, about, um, it's not about just defined by my circumstances. I have hope beyond hardship. I have perspective in some things that are difficult. He calls us to make a difference in this world, not just a difference that's temporary, but a difference that is eternal. And with his power, I have the power to live in victory over things that are immoral, unwise, unhealthy, and destructive to myself and to the people in my life. Doesn't mean I'll be perfect all the time, but I have the ability through his strength to live in victory over the things that are destructive to me spiritually. And so with that in mind, I wanna continue on through the outline and I want us to look at the path, what I think, what I'm calling the path to freedom. And again, these are straight from this passage in Corinthians. The next point that I would have you write down is understanding that all sin has consequences that are far reaching. And so our application, our response to that is we need to flee from sin. The scriptures are clear that the result of sin is spiritual death. In this life, the consequences for sin are often broken relationships, broken homes, um, a, a, a broken reputation. And God, again, his heart is kind. He does not want those things for us. And so he calls us out of sin. He calls us to turn from it, to flee from sin. But if we're gonna do that, we need to know exactly what sin is. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he gives a list of some things and he says, this is, honestly, you need to know this. 
This is Paul speaking to us, God speaking to us. He said, I'm gonna get, just get really real with you guys here today. Verse nine, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. In other words, you need to know the truth. You need to build your life on what is real. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verse 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. If I were to define sin, there's kind of two definitions that theologians uh, both uh, use to define sin. The first one is missing the mark. It's kind of an archery term or a marksman term, and it's missing the mark. Another definition of sin is to break the willful or willfully break the known law of God. And so when we as Christians know the law of God, we are called to, again, we're gonna place our life under his authority. And the definition of sexual immorality in this passage, the original word is actually porneo or porneus, depending on the context. And we, from that word, we get our, the modern term pornography which is attached to sexual deviance and lust and all these things. But there's also things included there, idolatry, adulterers, but there's, there's homosexuality, then there's stealing, there's thieves, um, greediness, drunk, drunkenness, revilers, swindlers, people who slander. And so these sins, sexual immorality is not necessarily in its own category. And what, I want, what I'm trying to say to you is, is all sin is serious. All sin is serious. And we need to be honest about that. But we need to be honest about what the Bible defines as sexual immorality. See, God instituted marriage all the way back in Genesis between a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. He instituted marriage. And Jesus affirms the institution of marriage in the New Testament, in the gospels. And it's affirmed even into the next chapter. And Pastor Keith is gonna come next week and talk to you more about that. But what we need to understand is that any sexual activity outside the marriage covenant between one man and one woman, that is what the Bible calls sexual sin or sexual immorality. And you might be sitting there today saying, well, that's a really high bar. How can anybody live up to that? Or maybe you've already messed up in that arena and you're like, well, that's, that's over. I can't live up to that. And again, I wanna remind you that there's a voice there's the voice of God, he's calling out to us in love. If statistics are at all true and hold true in this room, over 90% of us have some form of sexual regret in our past. The statistics tell us that at 11 years old, that's the average age for today's kids to be exposed to pornography, whether they're looking for it or not. Our, our culture is polluted with sexual temptation. We have, it's sensual in every way. You can't see an ad, you can't go to the store. I, no matter what filters or, or barriers you put in your life to avoid it, you're going to be confronted with it almost without exception. And the Bible is clear. It says that when you are, if you engage in sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant, that is immorality. 
And Hollywood understands, even Hollywood understands that this is wrong. Because if you watch the, the romance comedy or the chick flick or whatever what you wanna call it, the, the, the sitcom, anybody who gets cheated on is never happy. Have you ever noticed that? The person, when there's, when, there's, when there's all these relationships and honestly, it doesn't matter which show it is anymore. Like it's, it's all through everything that is put out. And, and even Hollywood understands that the real true story is no one likes it when somebody is cheated on or they get cheated on. It's always hurtful. It's always breaks relationships. There's always drama. And so even our world understands that Outside of God's plan, there's always hurt. There's consequences. A few years ago, I um, heard from somebody that you can make money giving plasma. Anybody try to do that? Okay. Maybe we go to BioLife and you, I went one time. Okay. I was like, this is not cool. I can't handle this. But when I first went in there to donate plasma, um, they, put, they put me through a, a questionnaire and I had to answer all these questions. And they asked me explicitly about my sex life, and if I had any contact uh, with a prostitute or with, uh, if I had any kind of homosexual activity in my life, why were they asking me that? Because the fact is we know scientifically, medically, that there is risk when it comes to this issue, when we do not adhere to God's plan, there is risk involved, even to our own health. We, un we understand this. And so when God calls us to a certain way to live, again, it's not to restrict us or to, or to just manipulate us into what he thinks is a good idea. It's for our good. It's for our good. But again, as I've already said, this is sometimes a standard that is, that is for a lot of people, we don't always live up to it. So what, what do we do with that? Well, I, if, if we're called to flee it, but here's the second point. This kind of sin, for whatever reason, and I think a lot more than just this sin, but there's a certain kind of shame that accompanies this kind of sin. And, and the trap of the enemy is that when it comes to this area is that we are embarrassed, we're, we're, we're ashamed. And so the first thing that we should do is seek help and, 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 and talk to somebody trustworthy about it. But our natural instinct is to do the exact opposite. And that's to hide it, to suppress it, to ignore it, to bury it. And that is the trap of the enemy because he knows that you and I, we're more vulnerable when we're isolated and alone. And it becomes a vicious cycle. We, it becomes a vicious cycle. So we engage in something we know is not of God and we're shamed and so we hide it and then we're depressed and we're filled with anxiety and all this stuff. And then the thing that we think that we can go back to to kind of alleviate that and to medicate ourselves through that loneliness is the very thing that got us there in the first place. And so then it be, just becomes a vicious cycle and it becomes worse and worse and worse and worse. And especially for young men, this is a difficult battle to fight and it, it can't be fought alone, but you don't feel like you can talk to anybody about it. And I think it's, I need to say this, we, I want us to be a church where not everybody knows everything, but I want us to be a church where, where, where people can find the help they long for, to find the guidance that they need. And so 
If you're feeling, first of all, if you're feeling just filled with shame, I want, you, I want to remind you that shame isolates and it's ultimately what leads to death. We need to bring it into the light, but don't, don't post it on Facebook for all the world to see, okay? This is not something for everybody to know. Find somebody who is faith-filled, Christ-filled, spirit-filled, who is trustworthy that you can talk to. Maybe it's a one or two people. And in fact, I, this isn't even, um, I was listening to an interview by coach uh, Mike Krzyzewski, who used to coach the Duke Blue Devils, Coach K. He said, everybody needs a small group of people that they can be real with. Now, to my knowledge, he's not even a Christian, but he understands the concept that we can't live life alone. We need a, a group of people who know who we really are, who can guide us and help us through our difficult times. And one of the, the hardest things that somebody can go through is to find, to feel like they're, they're dying inside, but they're too ashamed that they don't have anybody they can talk to. And so I want us to not be a shame-based church we're gonna be a church that is there to throw a lifeline to people, not one of condemnation, but one that says, hey, take my hand. I wanna pull you out, I wanna walk with you. And we have some groups like that that operate here. And I think there's even some stuff going on in the fall. Um, but I admit it's difficult to bring this into the light. It's not easy. It's not easy. In fact, the word confession in scripture literally means to agree with, but it's kind of carries with it the, the idea of dying to self. When I go to a doctor, I've had a few kidney stones and that's the worst pain I've ever had in my life, okay? I didn't go to Will Sprunt for my kidney stones. He's a great guy. I didn't go to him. I went to an expert. When it comes to this area, when it comes to our spiritual health, find somebody who's farther up the road than you, who's maybe not Maybe they don't know all the answers, but they can help you take your next steps. I tell our youth ministry um, from time to time, and I say, I say, you know, your 15-year-old friends may really care about you, but don't ask them for advice, okay? Ask your parents, ask me, ask your small group leader. Your 15-year-old friend, as, as smart as they are, they don't have the life experience. They don't have the wisdom to guide you through the things that are really difficult and hard. Find somebody that you can talk to and let's bring things that are in the dark, let's bring them into the light. Again, not for everybody, but for a small group of people that can walk with you. Healthy things grow in the light, unhealthy things grow in the dark. Thirdly, I want you to know that Jesus has paid for sin. He has paid for all of it. And, there, and because he has, live in freedom. Uh, I, I kind of skipped over this, but it still works for me to read this passage here in 1 John. It says in verse uh, six, it says of, of chapter one, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Verse eight, if we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just so that he will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God. When we bring things to him, he promises to forgive us and to cleanse us, to restore us, to lift us up. 
He has paid for sin. And so not only are we gonna flee from sin, we're not just gonna bring things in the light, we're gonna live in the freedom that he offers us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Paul has just listed all the things that are, he says are sin, sexual morality, adultery, idolatry, putting things in God's place, greediness, stealing, all the things. He's listed all that. He said, that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, which is another way of saying you were made right. You are in good standing with God. That may have been what you were, that may have been what you did, but that's no longer who you are today. And you are now washed, you are now righteous. And if you have prayed a prayer of faith and you have placed your life under the Lordship of Christ, you are no longer defined by your past, but you're defined by what he has done for you. You are defined by who he he says, you are. And he says that if that's who you are, you are washed, you are sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take on his name and he gives you his spirit by the spirit of our God. Verse Corinthians six nineteen. skip down a few verses. It says there, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's saying, hey, if that's what you did, if that's what you were, but you're coming to me, this is who you are now. You're like, Matt, like, do I have to, like if I'm living outside of God's plan, do I have to stop what I'm doing to be a Christian. Let me say it like this. Why don't you come and place your life under his lordship and then you work out all the details with him later? Let's start with him being Lord. Here's what sets Christianity apart. Every other religion says you have to fix yourself and clean yourself up and work really hard, get your life in order, and then you may get some kind of reward or benefit. Christianity says, no, Jesus says, bring me your mess. Bring me your life. You are not qualified to put it back together anyways. Let me do that for you. So your first step, if you haven't made this decision already, is to place your life in the hands of God, a loving God, a loving Father who wants what's best for you. And just say, God, you're my decision maker from here on out. Whatever you call me to do, that's what I want because I'm gonna trust you and that your ways are best. I don't know if this illustration will help, but what I'm describing is really repentance. Repentance is a word found in scripture that literally means if you're going this way, you're gonna turn around and you're gonna go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Pastor Keith, I think coined this. He said, you cannot pursue Jesus and sin at the same time. There, that's impossible. But I wanna be honest about some things because it's not always, it, 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 I think it is possible to be following Jesus and still have to deal with sin in our lives, to still have to struggle through some things. So I was uh, praying through like how to communicate this and this kind of picture came to me and I don't know if it'll help you, um, but imagine yourself walking through a rainstorm. I mean, like a torrential downpour. There's no trees, there's no shelter. You have a destination, it's miles and miles away. There's no other way to get there except walking. And you're not even sure where it is exactly, but you're just, you're caught in this rainstorm. 
And here comes the Father, here comes God, and he's holding an umbrella. And it's big enough for the both of you. And he invites you to stand with him under the umbrella. Anybody ever try to share an umbrella in a rainstorm? Anybody ever try that? Like you get, you have to get uncomfortably close, okay? You're like, okay, this might be a little awkward. And if you don't know that person very well, you may just not choose to get under the umbrella. You're like, I'll just be wet, okay? And so the father says, okay, here's an umbrella. Join me under the umbrella. Now you can't take the umbrella from him and say, thanks and go your own merry way. He's holding the umbrella. And then he says, I know where you're going. I know where you need to go. Follow me, walk with me. And as, as you walk under that umbrella, you're, you're no longer getting drenched and, and wet. It's, it's the best place to be considering the circumstances. And so you walk with him. Now, let your mind um, imagine this. What, what do little kids like to do in a rainstorm? Okay, we have gone to the store specifically to buy rain boots for our kids because when it rains, they love to go outside and play in it. My son, every time, every time we get out of the car and it's just freshly rained, I, without even really even planning it, I just say, don't step in the mud puddle. Like, it's just a reaction because his first thing is to see a mud puddle and just jump and land in the middle of it, okay? That's his instinct. And I have to tell him, don't do that. And it's why, because a little kid, a, a, a child doesn't always understand the ramifications of wet feet and wet socks. And if you have a long journey, I remember, and I'm gonna draw on my high school history classes here a little bit, reading about the, the armies that traveled without motors and vehicles. They were back in like the Civil War era and they had to march hundreds of miles on muddy roads. Their biggest problem was their health and it all started with their feet. If they didn't have good shoes and good boots and, and their feet got wet or their socks got wet, it led to disease and all kinds of consequences that hindered their ability to, to move, travel, and even fight. So a mature person knows that if I've got a long journey, the best place for me to walk through it is, is with God under this umbrella. I, I may be tempted to run out and play in the rain a little bit and jump in a few mud puddles, but that's not what's best for me. And so God calls us, he said, hey, walk with me. Now, here's the other thing that happens when you walk under, under an umbrella. It's raining you still get wet from time to time. There's still some things that drip on you and it's not exactly comfortable. And here's the reality. We are walking through a fallen and broken world. And as I mentioned before, we're constantly confronted with things. And it's sometimes it feels like the world, if I can put it this way, the, the world still gets on us. And, and even though we're walking with God, we, we don't always do it perfectly. We sometimes step in the mud puddle here and there. But if, we're, if we stay close to him, he says that we're gonna have victory. And, and I'm just trying to articulate an idea that it is difficult to walk through this life dealing with all the challenges and all the things that try to pull us away, but the best place to, to be is close to the Father, is close to the Father. If you're doing that, You've got it. You may not be perfect, but if you're walking close to the Father, you're in a place of victory. You're in a place of strength. 
And it may not mean that the storm has gone away and all the rain clouds are gone. You may be still battling through the wind and all the things, but you're close to the Father. And that's giving you confidence that you're going to reach the destination that he has in mind for you and I. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that you are that kind of father who invites us in close to guard us and to protect us and to give us strength to walk through this life that is often so difficult. Lord, when it comes to these kinds of things that we talked about today, there's can be a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. And I pray that if there's anyone here under the sound of my voice that needs to hear this, Lord, may they hear that you love them. You're not done with them. Lord, in fact, like I said, if the statistics are bare at all true, you have restored all of us from something. You are working on us in some area and you have healed us. And we can be a testimony to people who are maybe hopeless today. So Lord, I pray they would, they would have the courage to reach out to someone and seek the guidance and the help that they long for. God, may we be the kind of people that remember your goodness, your forgiveness to us. May we not be condemning. May we not, be, uh, may we not put people under the weight of shame, but may we be the kind of people that can walk with those who need, um, who need to walk closely to you, to encourage them in that process. God, help us to live in freedom. Help us to live in your strength. Lord, we're not perfect and we don't know what's coming around the corner. And the enemy so often likes to target us when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and, and we are sometimes vulnerable. And so Lord, guard us. Help us to remember to live under your strength, under your authority. And God, keep us um, close to you. That's where we wanna be. And if we are prone to stray, remind us that that is not what is healthy. Remind us that, what is best for us is to stay close to you. We give you all the praise, the glory, and honor for what you've done, who you are, and what you're going to do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention.